Welcome to episode 34 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. How are things? What's going on? <laughs> I mean, you ask me the same time. I know. <laughs> I have nothing. I'm good. I'm going to tell you, I've been obsessed. I'm obsessed with Talking Sopranos. Oh, the podcast. I am so in love with both Michael Imperioli because, I mean, it's Michael Imperioli. Mm-hmm. And Steve Sharippa. So I read Steve Sharippa's book. Uh, he, he put it like a Goomba book oh, out. Like a few, my God. I, you don't know. You don't understand. Tina, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. The love I have for this show and the actors on it. And listening to the two of them, I was talking to Medea, who is one of our Patreons mm-hmm. and a big supporter of the show. And we just had a beautiful conversation the other day about this show and like what we love about it. And I think because there's this feeling of the way that we grew up Mm -hmm. when we listen to these guys talk, if there's a familiarity, I I don't know, like I could listen to Steve Sharippa talk all day. And I mentioned to her, like when he does the ads for the Bose headphones, because in the middle they got to do these headphone ads and he's like, I'm always putting on my bows. I walk around. I got the bows on. Like it's, it's just, I don't know why it fills my heart so much to just hear him talk about it in the way that he sort of bumbles through the ad. So what is the podcast? They go episode by episode? They go episode by episode. Wow. It's like season one pilot, like what's going on. But the way that they talk about it, it, it they have a good dynamic because Michael Imperioli is brilliant. He's mm-hmm. a smart guy, director, writer. He's been like acting forever. Yes. And Steve Sharippa is like, I don't know anything. I, uh, your mind is smarter than mine. I, I, I didn't see that. I might have to go back and watch it again. And But they go through like every scene and they talk about what they think about the scene. And mm-hmm. um, they'll mention actors, but then they'll talk about the characters and what they think is going on and how these characters are growing. And I mean, the one thing I want to hear them oh talk about God. is the last episode and that last scene. You know, I everybody know. debates about what happened to Tony Soprano. Tony Soprano's dead girl. Right. Yeah. The end. Yeah. And, you know, it was all of that. I know people hated that ending. But I know. I, it, you know, when the I director. Think it's so brilliant. Yeah. The writer and the creator, David Chase, I think. Yes. When he talked about that ending, he was like, here's why he's dead. Like, this whole show is from his point of view. Yes. When the screen goes yes. black, it's because you're no longer seeing <laughs> yes. this person's life. Yes. You know? Which I, of course, immediately think about his family sitting there, sitting yes. in this restaurant. Finally, you know, the, that family knew forever what his job was, right? The garbage business, right? They yes. always knew but the fact that it was in their face in the final yeah. moments, like they finally witnessed yes. the danger. Because I think it was just Tony. Mayhem. I don't think anyone else. No, no, just yeah. Tony. And I think, but I, the, for that, they saw the violence, that final moment of what right. they've been benefiting from, from really their yeah. whole lives. And it's Meadow walks crazy. in, you know, Meadow walks in like right at what the moment happening? because it's like the bell. Yeah. You know, the bell goes, oh, oh it's so good. Oh, it gives me goosebumps. So what, how did, how did you feel when James Gandolfini died? Oh my God. I, I watched the whole series. I was like, I, I, I told, I told yeah, my was, husband, I, we got to start Sopranos right now. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, in honor son, of him. And that's what we did. And his son is an <laughs> actor and he's playing. Uh, in the prequel. He's pl- there's a prequel coming out. He's <gasps> yes. playing Tony Soprano. I, I can't wait. But yeah, uh, the day I was so, I was sad because I was like, this is terrible. Yeah. Uh, Cause he was in Italy. He was with his son in Italy. Yeah. And, um. Yeah, so that starting that night, because every I watch it top to bottom every year. 
beginning to end. Yeah. Every year I will watch the full. It's crazy. I don't know why I do, but I well, do it. I just finished The Wire. I talked oh about it the last, se- the last episode, but I, I'm... But I it's like finished a, it and then I was like, I kind of want to start it again because yes, right? it's so good. <laughs> so good. So, but when that happened, because I usually watch a certain time of year mm-hmm. and then, but his death didn't fit in with that. But I was like, I got to watch it anyway. And then I think I watched it again, like in my normal time that I watch it. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. It's, in a, it's weird. It's but crazy, it. <laughs> but it's so, it's that human thing. We watch this human, this human struggle. Yes. You well, know, with and, not only his mental health, but also like. You know, towards you could see that there was moments where people died had no, you know, there's a code. Gotta yes. have that code and live Omerta. by that code. Yes. Yeah. The thing that they talk about on the show that I like is that 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 he represents sort of one of the first antiheroes that people right yeah get on board with. Like he's this bad guy, but there are things within him that yes. make you want to root for him, even though you know he's completely awful. Yes. And so they talk about like that the way that the show is developed and how everything. The thing that I like, they're like, every single detail is deliberate. Mm. I mean, they talk about song choices. They talk about things in a room. They yeah. talk, it's very good. But also, it's very the good. part that makes him more human, though, is his family. You know, you see him struggle as a father, struggle as yes. a husband. But they soften his image, too. You yes. know? But he's still doing all the same things that we do, whether you're taking your kids to school. Yes, or and to getting college. annoyed. Of a, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. It's so good. It's, I, if it's you love show. The Sopranos, like, you have to listen to this show. <laughs> all right. That's all. So good. All right. So I'm going to tell you. Oh, yes. The story. I forgot we were here to talk about. I know. I could talk about this <laughs> the show forever. I'm going to talk to you about the story of mysticism and the occult. In the White House. What? Oh, my God. This is so exciting. So So excited. (laughs) I'm so excited. Oh, my God. So I... When I first... uh, I sent our producer... But that's not... um, we're not describing the Trump administration right now. We're oh, talking about please. The, over t- okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, We're talking ahead. about a few specific uh, first ladies. Okay. Awesome. And when I first went into it, I, I had one specific person in mind. And then I wrote back to our producer, uh, Alfredo, and I said, I'm changing it up a little bit because I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> like an overview. That's so funny because so. I texted him last night. I was doing, I had two stories. And so I started doing one story and then I started doing the other story and I realized the second story was actually a lot bigger than I thought and I thought all right well I've got to now split this I got to call him like I texted him I was like well not last night yesterday afternoon I was like I think I need to change this I hope he never responded so I was like I think we'll be all right yeah it'll be fine (laughs) I'm sorry okay so throughout history yes a number of first ladies turned to the occult when suffering hardships but when rumors swirl that the Reagans regularly sought out astrological advice, it makes one wonder whether the supposed rational people elected to govern us may be governed by superstition. What? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I have to do it, girl. All right. So our story takes place in the White House. And I wanted, you know, I like to do the little, here's a little tidbit. And the one thing that I, there's a ton of interesting facts about the White House, but The one thing I thought was really interesting and I never thought about before was the switching of one presidency to the next. And it happens in five hours. Isn't that amazing? I was like, what in the world that it's five hours and they're, they're changing the furniture, the artwork, the paint, everything. It's like, whoop. Yep. And it's done. Isn't that insane? It's insane. That's a lot of work. The staff even. I know. It's wild. So 
Before I get into details about the Reagans and astrology, I want to dive into just the background of mysticism with a couple of people. So I'm not going to go in. There are many um, people that had sort of beliefs or people who saw the ghost of Lincoln and all of these things, but I wanted to just focus on a couple for time's sake. So uh, the first one that I thought was interesting was uh, First Lady Jane Pierce. So, and her occult medium was seances, and she held seances in the White House. It's <laughs> wild. So, and but this story and the next one are both very, very sad. So, just mm. as a warning, so Jane Pierce has this tragic story. Like her, uh, two of her children had died out of the three children that she had. And just weeks after her husband won election in 1852, she, Pierce, and their 11-year-old son, Benjamin, Benny, were in a train accident. Mm. And the train derails, and she and her husband survive, but Benny doesn't. No! So now Um, this is number three? This is number three. Holy shit! And, you know, she lost those other children to illness, but this was so tragic because... According to a Boston Magazine article, the train car that they were riding in fractured. Like oh it just split off and it fell down this 20 foot embankment. Oh, I know. And he was in that. And they were all in that. Oh. And his mom and the, the, the Pierce, both the Pierces find him. And the way that he had fallen with the luggage, like he was like nearly decapitated and they discover him oh and he was my. the only fatality oh and she's like God. devastated yes. and she's like traumatized and she is just a hot mess oh god and it's awful like i i was reading through this and i was getting so emotional about it because i was like this poor woman so she hired spiritualists to hold seances to try to connect with her son one more time and that's why and, and to me it's understandable right yes. she's distraught yes please and according to vice like she was actually known as the shadow in the white house like that was like the name that they gave her because she did she really. didn't go to the inauguration yeah. she yeah. wore black all the time she's in such grief it took her a long time to even because you know as first lady you got to do these events oh, and you got to and she's no i'm out she wants nothing out. to do with it yeah and she desperately wants that connection that opportunity right to touch to hold her son again Jesus. you know and back in the day, these spiritualists were believed, you know, like they weren't like, do you remember like, uh, what was it? Madam Cleo? Is it? Yes. The, you know, like the telephone yes. psychics. Yes. Like, yes. I feel like when I grew up, it was all these telephone psychics and, you know, the psychic to the stars. And mm-hmm. it was all like a, a, a joke. Right. But, you know, there was a time where like this was like a seriously believed. Well, we were thing. more, I think also it was a more spiritual time. Yes. You know what I mean? People were more into their religion. They were more into they were, and, they and had more still, faith in all of right. that. And things are still so unknown. Yeah. So her first attempt to reach her son, according to Amanda Arnold's Vice article, was through a letter. Like she wrote him a letter and it, it was like a way for her to sort of right her wrongs. Like she felt like she failed as a mom Jeez. and she felt like her husband's ambition for the presidency, like there's all of this guilt and she's writing like somehow this is... And it's, it's, it's full of grief and it's clear, like she's saying, like, I was a bad mom and I, maybe if I would have done things differently oh and all, it's God. so, I know, I'm sorry, but no, she it's mentioned, so sad. And it's so we sad. have almost 11, well, we have, I have an 11 year old. Me too. I mean, oh, I, I, I like, I, I teared up through this, yes. like I have to say, um, when I read her letter, um, and she, in the letter, like, cause she talks about, she's like, um, she talks about the things in the house connected with him, like the things that she's seeing that are left behind and like mentioning those things. She imagines his voice and how she's never felt pain 
as such as she has with his loss. And she's like, you know, I, I just want you to come and sit on my lap like you. And oh, it's going to make me sad. Yes. Oh, so it's like this palatable like love. I know. I feel it. I feel it. All right. So she brings in mediums. And the thing is, I don't know what's real or not real, but a lot of these mediums prayed on people like this. And she brings in two of the most famous mediums of the time, the Fox sisters. So these were sisters. They were Maggie and Kate. And the story goes that when they were children, like 10 years old, 11 years old, something like that. They started saying, there's someone in the room. There's someone in the room. And like the mother would run in and they're like, he's saying this, he's saying that. And, and these knocks would happen. Like, you know, if you're here, knock twice, you know? Yeah. And then you hear the two thumps. And, and so several people witnessed the phenomenon because the mom is like, oh my God, there's knocking happening. Bring in the neighbors and the neighbors come and they start asking questions and there's knocking and they, they claim that this ghost was murdered by someone in the house next door. And they even bring in like the prior owner and accuse him of like, you murdered someone in your house. And the guy's like, I, I, what are you talking yeah, about? I didn't murder yeah, anybody. Yeah. It's like this whole thing. <laughs> but they end up getting this reputation that mm-hmm. they can commune with the dead. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that this is a possible a poss- a thing that's a possibility? Communing with the dead? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I grew up with very, very superstitious family stories okay yeah yeah so um so many stories about people seeing it wasn't more a commuting with the dead but more like when someone passed that that they were seen okay you know Mm. um and I remember I I remember having a dream when I was 14 or 15 I can't remember what but my great uncle had passed away but it was before he, but it was, I had this dream and I, I woke up and he was standing in my room mm. and like just looking at me. And the next day I said to my mom, oh, is he at a low? I saw him in my room. And she goes, well, we just got a call this morning. He died last night. Holy shit. And I was like, oh, well, you know, and so everyone's like, oh my God, Tina saws eat a low. And then, you know, and then this one has this story that he was yeah. seen over here or, yeah. you know, like. I wonder what that is. I don't know. So I was part of your subconscious because he was ma- sick. Or maybe I or... heard the phone ring. Maybe, yeah, you know. Who knows? Who knows? But do you think it's part of being from the old country, your family? Like that's a whole thing that yes. happens over there. And they're all, well, they're from tiny little towns. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom's town was three or 400 people in a town. Mm-hmm. My dad's town was like a thousand people. So these are tiny little villages. Right. You know, I, I think that's just like an old school thing. But there, I mean, people in the family believe it. Right, right, right. So I don't know. All right. Sorry. So she brings these people and um, their older sister, uh, Leah, gets word. Like, what's going on with these girls? And so she sees it and she she sees the, the dollar signs mm. and they start charging people. And they were making back in the day um, what would be equivalent to like a thousand bucks a day wow. doing like these these seances for people. And so they get so popular that they, they end up in um, with the first lady, I mean, wow. that the first lady calls them in. So um, she calls them in and she meets with the Fox sisters privately. And it, the account I read said that they offered her some solace, you know, um, I don't know the details of what that meeting was or what she heard, but it doesn't last long. And she does write to her sister, though, to say that she saw her son come to her mm. like two nights in a row um but she, and then she held a bunch of other seances but she was sort of viewed as a little you know a yes. kooky and the same thing with our next person first lady mary lincoln let, let, let me say something viewed as kooky would be an understatement if this happened to one of my children okay 
Oh. First of all, I would never fucking leave the house again. Oh, I, I, I my know one surviving would child would be attached to my hip. It would never happen. So be, being viewed as kooky again yeah. would be an understatement if this happened. Well, and my imagine, kids. I mean, she's lost all of her children. No, no, it's, 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 it's horrific. It's and almost like she's cursed to not be a mother. Yeah. That's how I would feel. Well, well, and at the time though, um, you know, so many children died of yes. these diseases right. and yes. it's, you know, it just was such but a, this was like this freak awful. Jesus. Yeah. No, I mean a freak accident. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. So, uh, like Jane Pierce, Mary Lincoln also lost a child, also an 11 year old boy. Mm. Um, but she lost her son to typhoid fever and she was grieving that loss at the start of her time in the White House as well. So there's parallels between them. And she actually learned about the Fox sisters from Jane mm. Pierce. So she does turn to the Fox sisters at one time. And the other thing is at the time, many people in the country are grieving because like this is after the Civil War. You know, it's like, I feel like it's the perfect storm for these mediums to flourish because right. you have so many people in such grief. Yes. That it's... It, High it just, times. You know, like everything just came together for mm-hmm. this to happen. In a Medium article by Mitch Horowitz, he includes an excerpt from Mary Lincoln's biographer, Carl Sandburg, who wrote that Mary Lincoln says uh, this to her sister. He lives, Emily. He comes to me every night and stands at the foot of my bed with the same sweet, adorable smile he always had. He does not always come alone. Little Eddie is sometimes with him, and twice he has come with our brother, Alex. So, you know, and maybe she's just dreaming of him. Maybe she's imagining, you know. She called in several uh, famous mediums to hold seances in the Red Room in the White House and other areas of the White House, as well as outside excursions. And Lincoln S. reportedly attended a couple of these too, Mm -hmm. but he was not a believer. He was someone that was like, Oh, the piano's making noise. Let me look under where the, how the key's moving. Yeah. Let me sit out and let me like, he, you know, logical. And he sort of just, I think indulged. Of course. His wife. Of in course. This, Come you on. Know? Yes. So like, you know, happy let wife, happen. happy life. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but I believe there were eight, eight seances at the white house. Jeez. I mean, that's a lot. To me, like you're bringing in people that, yeah, but you know, even though it's a White House, it should be like, you know, we want to put it up on this hill. Those are human beings that are still inside. They're still going to be doing some wacky things that you wouldn't think that would happen. No, this is a, these are, they're regular human beings. Regular human beings. (laughs) Yes. So like I said, they called in the Fox sisters, um, but Mary Lincoln also had the Lorries come in for some of the seances and the Lorries at the time were a well-known medium group. And according to a History Connection article by Shannon Quinn, a Cranston lorry allegedly connected her with her th- sons and also warned her that there were enemies in his uh, in Lincoln's very cabinet mm. that may want to go against him and that Lincoln was in danger. Uh. And so um, she, you know, had that sort of in the back of her mind, too. And so, of course, I have to do a literary <laughs> reference here because... The suffering and the need for answers, it just, I was like, oh my, this is the Raven, you know, Mm. by Poe, because like that whole poem is he's there grieving the loss of Lenore Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, this Raven comes in and he keeps asking the Raven questions. And one of the lines is, I'm going to read it. I'm sorry, guys, just indulge my literary (laughs) love. Prophet said, I thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distance it shall clasp a Satan maiden whom the angels named Lamor, whom the angels named Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. So he's like, 
hey, bird, you know, like before this, he's like, is there, is there um, balm in Gilead? Like, will I have release in heaven? Will this pain go away? Nevermore. Right. Mm. And then he's like, please, will I ever hold her again? Will I ever see her? Like when I die, is that my chance? And the bird's like, no, never more. Like you're never going to see her again. Mm. And right. And it's, that's the thing that we all in that grief, like maybe I'll see them in heaven. Maybe I'll hold them again. And the one thing that's like, they're like, no, no, it's never going to happen. There's none of that. And this, that, that bird is that constant reminder. So like, it's like sort of everyone, I feel like makes it like this whole scary thing. But when you really like read through this poem, you're like, it's just so much grief. The whole thing is grief. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh my God, it just reminds me of that, that they're going to these mediums, like, give me something. I yes, need something. And then that's where it kind of, and that's you know, where we're not the exploitation supposed, comes. Yeah. And we're never supposed to know what happens beyond that. Like that's, and so to think that you could get a glimpse. Yeah. Ugh. I know. I know it's wild. One more, one more quick one from the early 20th century, and then we'll jump into the Reagans. But according to an article on History Connection, there was Florence Harding, wife of Warren G. Harding, she would read her horoscope daily. She used tarot cards. She had a psychic visit regularly with a crystal ball so Ooh. that she could get like really deep predictions. I mean, <laughs> it just, and, and she would um, sneak this lady in and supposedly she was warned of a sudden death that was coming. And then her, her husband passed away in the night. So to her, that was like, you know, but she, one other kooky thing that she did was that she asked for the flag draping the coffin to be removed and she wanted her husband's coffin open so she could like talk to him one more time. God. I know. I was like, dang. All right. So <laughs> major incident that we are going to get into is the Reagans. And this to me, you know, the other story is, okay, we're in, 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 um, you know, the 19th century, mm-hmm. right. But the Reagans 20th century, we're talking where we're in the eighties. Right. And right. that she's turned into astrology. Like, I feel like I can forgive people in the 1800s. <laughs> You know what I mean? Early 1900s, but like we're coming into the 1980s and like you're, you're turning to an astrologist and you're, you're having this astrologist like, um, allegedly, uh, be involved with what your husband's deciding. That mm. to me is now that's crazy. That's a little but crazy. I, for some reason I feel like, cause we, I grew up in the eighties is that I feel like astrology was like a big Deal like in the then. newspaper, you saw yeah, your Yeah, but you would always hear about it. Or the same thing with like all those people you could call into. I mean, I feel like astrology was like a... It was still, yeah, it was still around, but I don't know. If, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. So, okay. So, so, okay. Well, you know who uses astrology? I, I watched this show on uh, Netflix called, oh, gee, oh, Indian Matchmaking. India, Indian Matchmaking. It's oh. a really, really great show. Oh, I've heard of this show. It's really good. But they use... Um, horoscopes and, and they chart they do the star the love, charts the, the love chart and like they can give your birthday your husband and, and you have to have the and, exact pre- precise moment yeah. that you're born and when that she's trying to match born. people she's like no these two won't match like she won't even introduce them unless wow. she does their love chart first like it's a Dang. big part and they also do face reading she'll show them a picture what do you think about this person and i'm telling you you've we've already been introduced as as viewers of the show of this person so we already have an idea and the guy looks at the face and was like oh no this guy's never worked a day in his life he's never gonna and what? it's like you he gets everything no. spot on every time i'm telling you i gotta so watch that's this how now. she matches people okay great. it's great well may I, maybe the uh, maybe nancy reagan would have liked this person yeah yeah all right so i don't know it's one thing to me I, I just feel like it's one thing when you're grieving a loss and you're you're desperate for something. It's another thing to like let me go f- put the star chart together to see <laughs> you know what time I need to go 
do have a meeting. Yes. I don't know. You're right. But may, who knows? Policy, not policy. <laughs> we'll get into this girl. Okay. All right. So, um, I mean, so you, you have the faith of the, the, the country is in your hands and you're going to go to the star chart. Mm. I don't know. All right. So the thing though, that's interesting is that they were in astrology well before the presidency, mm-hmm. you know, from like governor and even before then, uh, you know, listen, so, they're out in California, yes. they're freewheeling over there. And I mean, he was know. an actor. Yes. And I feel like, you know, back then it was cool. Yeah, it was you not know. a, this is not, they're not unaware of like, they, listen, go to California. The, these people are involved in crystals. I've seen water yeah. bottles in the crystal, crystals in water bottles. Like California, yes. living in California and being listen, in that I like kind the of, crystal. I'm not going to go uh, against it. Uh, but they're just so involved yes. in all of this like higher being. I, it's, yeah. it's, 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 uh, I feel like it's not down to earth. <laughs> I guess that's what I would like to say. Yes. It's, just, it's just in another, it's in another I mean, level. I, I, I like the. Look, I'll use the sage. I moved into my house. I, <laughs> I I put the sage up. I have a crystal in my car. Like, oh you know, my, you I have a crystal do. in your car. I have a crystal oh, in my car. Tina. I do. I have a crystal. What in my car. What does it do for you? What does it do? Um, I don't know, but it's been with me for twenty something years. This crystal. Does it? Is there one for COVID? <laughs> because that would be nice. Can we find a crystal for COVID? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. All probably right. not. Maybe it'll absorb all the germs into it, and then you do a clean. You dip it in some sage water, and then it oh releases my God. it. No ocean water. I don't know. All right. Oh so there was this time where people, and I, I don't know. I've always had this crystal in my car, and it just—I I take it from one car to the next. It's still there. I've got like f- old French fries on the floor in my car. I don't know. If that's the same thing. Uh, I, I, uh, I have the mess in my car too. All right. So anyway. <laughs> In an Atlas Obscure article, a Hermansi writes that in his 1965 book, Where's the Rest of Me? Reagan writes about an astrologer friend, and the article also reveals that Reagan never told anyone his exact time of birth because he didn't want people to have control over him via star charts. What? I, this is how far it goes. First of all, he wrote a book, he All wrote a of book. Me? Where's the Rest of Me? Where's the Rest of Me? I know, kind of, sort of. <laughs> what a weirdo. Yeah, Where's the Rest of Me? They didn't want to know. See, this is this is that yeah. wacky shit. All right. I mean, yeah. look. <laughs> right. Maybe we should get a magic eight ball. Yeah. <laughs> oh my and god. And maybe we should start scheduling our like our muck Instagram posts <laughs> on the best time. Shake the magic. This should we? Should crazy. we post now? Now all signs point to yes. <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay. All right. Um, should we just say no to drugs? There's Nancy Reagan. <laughs> oh my Ask god. Ask me again later. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. This is what's going on. But, I mean, the fact that he thought someone could control him and would not reveal his, like, time of... But with the person that you're talking about, maybe they would say, don't ever, don't don't reveal this stuff. Yes. So, all right. So, according to a McDuffie's Timeline article, during the presidency, the Reagans used an astrologer for his scheduling. And it basically broke down into... So, his schedule was like a traffic light pattern. Green, yellow, red. Green was like, boom. It's a go. Everything's going to be great. If it was in yellow, it was like, mm, proceed with based caution. On, this is all based on based the on, on the start. Okay. Yeah. The, the astrologer would say like, here's are the days and times that are good for you to schedule things. I'm so annoyed and right now. And red was like, danger, danger, danger. Like you don't do it. Holy shit. Take, you know, extreme this caution. This is insane. That's Come what on. I'm saying. Like this is the president and then he's got a color coded schedule. This happened on all his, his meetings. Oh and it was his schedule. Jesus. So this to me is cuckoo. 
So, and the article also notes that there was a particular time um, that Reagan gave for the second inauguration. He wanted the ceremony to take place at 11.56.50 instead of like, normally it's like noon or whatever, right? 11.56.50. But that wasn't the first time that Reagan tried to reschedule. Did that happen? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's very weird. Um, so according to that Atlas Obscura article, when he was being sworn in as governor, he wanted uh, the time to be a particular time. And he claimed then, like, I want to see a football game. But people were like, no, 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 you hang out with these astrologists. That's why you want the time. And then he scheduled it back to the proper time. Oh, my gosh. This guy is fucking that's, out. He's that's fucking that's out what, there. That's what I'm saying. Oh it's, my like, God. it's a little weird. All right, so how did the word get on the street? Like, how did people find out about this astrologer? So there was this guy named Donald Regan, and this is Reagan's former chief of staff, and this guy resigned after Iran-Contra. And so he he writes a a book. He fell on his sword for that one? Yeah, so he wrote a book about his experience in Washington, and in there he exposes this mysticism and this, like, tie to astrology. And, you know, you have to wonder, why didn't the astrologist see this coming? I don't know. But he writes in his book, virtually every major move and decision the Reagans made during my time as White House chief of staff was cleared in advance with a woman in San Francisco who drew up horoscopes to make certain that the planets were in a favorable alignment for the enterprise. What? And Come he, on. Because he was getting frustrated, like, hey, we're trying to arrange this. like, And he kept getting stopped by the scheduling. Oh, my God. And he's God. like, what the hell's going on? And then he realizes there's this whole thing happening. So when word gets out that this is happening, people are like, the hell's going on? Yeah. You know, and they want to know who, who is this astrologer that they're seeing. And so the name gets out and it's this woman called, uh, her name was Joan Quigley. And P.S. She got paid. They paid her. Nancy Reagan would go through like a third party. So like the money wouldn't be traced to her and they would sneak her in. Isn't that weird? Yes. That they knew she, they knew enough that this was wacky. Oh, they yes. knew enough that it's so wacky that yes. people would not fall, you know, not like it, that they did. They went through all these back back channels too. Yes. Wow. So naturally the jokes start flying. And at press conferences, uh, McDuffie notes that there was this Marlon Fitzwater. He was the then spokesman for the White House. And he told the press, quote, I'll take your first question at exactly 1233 and a half. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can you imagine, like, that this is now that they're they're here and then... Um, well, he's trying to make light of the situation, <laughs> even though it's so insane. It's so insane. I mean, wow. take it at 1233 and a half. <laughs> oh, my God. So Damage Control Nancy comes out and she's like, no, 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 no. This is only about scheduling, not policy. And in her 1989 memoir, she says it again that this was strictly about scheduling. But I feel like the guy's got a color-coded schedule. This is beyond just schedule. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to go to that length to have days and times color-coded and mapped out for you, like, come on. You're not going to go with a big decision. You're not going to be like, well, maybe I should clear this with the astrologer first. Yeah. It's working for me so far with the schedule. Why wouldn't it work on something else? Yes. And the other thing that she turns to, which I get, is she turns to Reagan's assassination attempt. And mm. she's like, you know, I was so worried uh, and about him being in danger all the time that with the scheduling, she wanted to make sure that it was the safest and all. Like, that's how she kind of spun it was like, I was so concerned about his life and his safety, oh, which I get. Oh, you please, know, come but, on. 
ridiculous. And and the one thing though, um, you know, doing this research is the two of them, they were a very loving couple. When you see pictures of them, they, like they they have a. I don't know, like you see other relationships and presidencies, like they don't seem like, I said, maybe they're married because they have to be married. There's, you don't see like a closeness. Like you definitely see that these two in the, and, and but they yeah. are both actors. So maybe they know how to put <laughs> no, on I'm the sure show. That they loved each other, but yeah. that does, first of all, why is she so involved? I know she's his wife, she but like involved. as a first lady, you don't need to be this involved with someone's schedule. He has an entire staff to do that. Like you're o- getting yourself overly involved. Well, she in was everything. involved. Yeah. So, McDuffie notes, though, that in 1990, a year after that memoir comes out, Quigley, the astrologer, comes out with her own book. Oh, God. And her book was called What Does Joan Say? Explaining that she helped more than with just the scheduling. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And she said that the title of the book, What Does Joan Say? is referencing that Nancy Reagan, like that's what what Ronald Reagan would say to Nancy, well, what does Joan say? And then Nancy would go to Joan. Wow. And so that's why she titled the book that because that was, he went, well, what does Joan say? Girl. But it's also, there's something weird happening where he has no confidence in his own decision-making. No. Like that, that, but if you think about it, his book came out in 1965. So that means from the sixties, maybe fifties onward, that's many, many years, 30 some years of believing in this process. Yeah. And maybe he's used it from when he was right. an actor, from when he, he was a governor. It, and it worked for him then. And, so and why it's wouldn't worked it work? for him all these years that he, he's bought into it. Dang. Or maybe he thinks like that's why yeah. he's president. It's like a, like the a, stars a aligned, security blanket, you know? Yeah. Nancy Reagan, mm. she used Quigley to decide when Air Force One should ascend and descend the skies. But what? yes, like she basically controlled Air Force One, <laughs> yeah. an astrologist. The greatest. This is it's so just, good. It's um, when they should have state dinners, when the exact time that he should give the State of the Union, like what was the best day and time for that to happen? You know, according to that article, uh, Megan Miller's article um, in We Are the Mighty, policy was part of the conversations. Wow. In fact, uh, Miller's article goes on to explain that Quigley may have been instrumental in ending the Cold War. What? Dear God, allegedly, allegedly Quigley's sister said that Quigley and Nancy spoke for hours on the phone and that conversation prompted Nancy to tell Ronnie that he and Gorbachev could get along because they had good star chart energy. Yeah. (laughs) And according to that article, Quigley had a hand in arranging the Reykjavik summit which some say eventually led to the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty of 1987. And that treaty, according to arms control, is the one that required the U.S. and the Soviet Union to eliminate and permanently forswear all of their nuclear and conventional ground-launched ballistic and cruise missiles with ranges of 500 to 5,500 kilometers. Mm. But like that she had a hand in scheduling like that. So she knew like information. Yeah. Confident, like, uh, what is it called? Yeah. Uh, what is it called? Top it, secret. Yes. Dang. I don't know. I mean, I'm look, I don't want nukes like anyone else, but I'm not sure I like the idea of an elected official, right? Making decisions. But also like, let's think of it this way. Because what if she was like, nah, the stars don't align. So now he doesn't meet with yes. him and then this treaty didn't happen. Like, but who says well, that maybe she had biases? But 
Right. What well, if she course. had a bias against somebody or a country or whatever? And she's like, Bug him, and just yeah. says one thing. Who yeah. knows? It's, Who knows how honest she was being, even in what she was doing? Wow. It's crazy. So the aftermath. So as I noted earlier, the main pushback was the jokes um, and the snickering. But really, there wasn't much else. And I think that the reason of her being afraid for her husband and all of that maybe quelled some of it. Mm. Or maybe I, I just don't. I was a kid. So I don't remember hearing like so much about it, but there was, when I was doing the research, there was like a Time Magazine article and we'll have a picture of it in our notes of, you know, it's, it's the cover and it's like, you know, Nancy Reagan using an astrologist, like, you know, cause people are like, what the hell? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I was telling my husband last night that the, the thing I remember most about Reagan, like my feeling of Reagan is from the land of confusion. Yes. Genesis video. Yeah. Like that's like when yes. I think of Ronald Reagan. That's what I imagine, and Holy so shit. as like, like I rubber, need to, the rubber face, like the puppets, and yes. like, and he, and, so and I watched, I watched it last night. Yeah. I was like, I need to, I need to just watch it, and it's actually, it's so good. Like now, like as an adult watching yeah. it, because you see all of the political figures that are yes. in there, and, but it was very good. And they, and he pushes the he, yeah, the button. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuke nurse, and he hits the nuke button, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, Ooh. like it's so it's so funny. I wonder, it's I wonder something. what the pushback was about that video when it came out. Oh, I'm we're sure. basically the laughing stock of the world anyway. Yes. So like what happened? What was going well, on then? God, we were laughing stock then. What are we now? Oh, please. It's just yeah. it's a nightmare. <laughs> All right. So some points of interest after Benny's, I'm going to go back to some things from the other articles that I thought were interesting. Okay. After Benny's death, Pierce is sworn into office, but he's one of the only presidents to not swear on the Bible. Ooh. Because he thought like God was punishing him. Oh shit! Yeah, because of the the the. So he chose. I think it was like a law book or something. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He like blamed himself, like, and he thought like his wife, like maybe it was my ambition and all this that led to God punishing me. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and then the Fox sisters. I just wanted to touch on what happened to them. So one of them uh, admits later in life that it was all scam. Yeah, I these girls sound yes. familiar to so, me. So um, the knocking, I remember. Yeah, one would tie an apple to her leg to fool her mother, like I guess to make the noises, and she would also use her toe, and then she demonstrated like how it was done. Yeah, and basically, th- these girls um, were really pushed by their older sister, and it, it was horrible. But um, they ended up really suffering alcoholism, mm. and then. Um, they died penniless and discredited and it was a mess. Wow. But, and then it's fun while it lasted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was another interesting thing. I just wanted to put in there that there was a, uh, another medium. So this is according to the Smithsonian magazine, uh, Terry Elford. He says in his article that a Charles Colchester was this medium and he was a hack, right? Um, but he was also buddies with John Wells Booth. Whoa. He was friends with John Wilkes Booth. And at the time, Booth was running his mouth about killing Lincoln. So first he was running his mouth like, I'm going to kidnap Lincoln. But then he turns to, I'm going to kill Lincoln. So Colchester says, hey, be careful, bro, to uh, Lincoln. Yeah. And Lincoln's like, uh, the, you know, all these mediums are like, oh, you're in danger, in danger. So he kind of, you know, doesn't listen to it. But 
This um, isn't from beyond the grave. This was real information. <laughs> yeah, this is real information oh that Colchester's trying to tell him, but yeah. he's like, hey, be careful because he, may, you know. But let me be clear, Abraham. This yes. isn't a voice I'm hearing from beyond the yeah, grave. Yeah, this is it's someone I am, I'm drinking beers with, yeah. and he's, he's talking about this all the time. Well, see, this is the problem with crying wolf, yes. Tina. <laughs> understand? That's the problem with saying that you can speak to people beyond the grave. When you actually have something to say, nobody fucking No one's going to believe it. No one's going to listen. Nobody believes you. So, um, and then there was a time where Obama made a seance joke regarding Nancy and Oh. To apologize. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh fantastic. my god! I thought it was funny. That's the best. And then that's that's pretty much it. Oh um, my god! So I thought it was some fun little points. Love um, it. Yes. Yeah. So that's the story of prophet and prophecy <laughs> in the U.S. presidency. Oh my god! That's it's wacky. Just so much fun. <laughs> just another reminder that like everybody has fears. No one's better you know. than the other person. Everybody. We all have you know, the same fears. Yeah. It's by the human condition, right? The, the the great unknown of death that we all yeah. wonder and worry about, you know. Hey, everybody. I'm Elise Real. And I'm Isha Bell. And we are the hosts of Full-Time Black Women Podcast. Our goal is to create an environment where Black professional women can discuss the ups and the downs we experience in corporate America and entrepreneurship while balancing our many roles and responsibilities in life. We want to make full-time Black women your safe space from the rat race, a place you can come to feel heard, understood, and appreciated. We'll offer tips and advice like a mentor, support you like a bestie, and encourage growth like Black Castor Oil on Thin Edges. Woo! Now that is some growth! <laughs> Allies are welcome. Uh, so like I said earlier, I had one story that I was going to do. And then when I started to read what happened before this actual event, I thought, my God, this is a story upon unto itself. <laughs> I have to, to tell it. So the other story I was working on, I'm going to save it for episode 36. Oh, uh, cause we are recording two episodes today. Yes. So I figured, well, we're going to be here sitting here doing two anyway. I'll do yes. it back to back. Ooh. So I am going to do two, a large story. Part one is today, and part two will be in next week's episode. So Ooh. stay tuned uh, Ooh, next week for the, for the, <laughs> yeah, for the, uh, okay. So my, the first part is about Dwight and Stephen Hammond. Oh. Okay. So this isn't particularly about people who are elected, but I found a ton of really mucky politicians involved in all of oh, this. Oh, I love it. I have now sent myself several names <laughs> to add to my list. Um, <laughs> But it's about events. So it's about it's about folks who are anti-government, especially anti-federal government, and how they push back against the system and being militants and underground militia groups and things <gasps> like that. And also what I found very interesting about this whole thing is that, you know, we're from Broward County. We're down here in South Florida. And we, like, live two feet away from our neighbors. Yes. We live in highly populated areas. This all takes place in uh, in areas where... There's not a lot of people. Yeah, you can have the just, bunker yeah, and like all the large food. Large parts yeah. of land. Like it's just so spread out and really beautiful when you look at the pictures. But um, okay, so this takes place in Hardy County, which is a rural county in eastern Oregon, the <gasps> county seat in the city of Burns. Do you know what I'm going to do? I think I know what you're going <laughs> to do. Oh my God. Okay. So although it is one of the largest counties by area in the United States, its population is only 7,700 people and cattle outnumber people 14 to 1. Dang. About 75% of the county's area is federal land, variously managed by the United States Bureau of Reclamation, the Bureau of Land Management, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, and the United States Forest Service. 
Besides ranching and farming, forestry and manufacturing are important industries in the county. So cattle ranching in Harney County predates the 1908 establishment of the Malher National Wildlife Refuge, with some cattle trails, including those by, used by the Hammond family, dating back to the 1870s. Mm. The Mahler National Wildlife Refuge is located in Harney County. It was established in 1908 by President Theodore Roosevelt, a conservationist. It is located in the Pacific Flyway and currently encompasses 187,757 acres. Wow. It is one of the premier sites for birds and birding in the U.S. Tourism, especially birding, injects $15 million in the local economy annually. Dang. That's that's amazing, right? Yes. So disputes between cattle ranchers and the federal government over management of the Malher National Wildlife Refuge have gone on for generations, and the situation has regularly deteriorated to taunts and threats directed at federal officials from ranchers since at least the early 1970s. In an effort to address concerns of neighboring landowners and interests, the completion of a 15-year management plan for the refuge heavily involved various stakeholders, including ranchers, in its development process. The plan was completed in 2013 and won praise from some area ranchers for its collaborative approach. So they're trying to, like, bring everybody in on this. Yes. The people who, who live there, who've lived there for generations. I mean, it's like a family business, this cattle ranching. I feel like this is going to turn into, like, a Hatfield McCoy kind of <laughs> fight. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so um, in June 1994, the Mulher National Wildlife Refuge Manager, Manager Forrest Cameron, notified Dwight Hammond that his permit to graze his cattle and grow hay on the refuge was revoked. Uh-oh. Two months later, Hammond and his son, Stephen, obstructed the completion of a refuge boundary fence intended to keep their cattle out of the refuge's protected marsh and wetland, prompting their arrest by federal agents. It's always a fight. So you have to get a permit to let your cattle graze on this land. You cannot just let your animals roam in here. No, they'll they'll chew up everything. And the ranchers... But the ranchers are like, we need to feed our cattle. But they also have their own land. But they think it's... there's this really wild thing that happens with a certain percentage of the population who believe that the federal government shouldn't own land and shouldn't tell people what they should do. Okay? Well, that's like an early, well, I'm thinking these are ranchers and I'm thinking of like early ranchers, early settlers who didn't want to put fences up, who there's land enough for everybody yes. and that no one can own the land. And yes. Yes. So that, that's, I mean, but that's really, like, that's like settlement. Right. Like early settler kind of mentality yeah. that is gone. Right. Maybe and a lot of people on. think about people going west. Right. It was to claim land, to put a stake on land, to say right. we own this land, you right. know, to take claim to something. And so this is a a, a, a way of thinking that has gone on yeah. through these families, through generations. And but these families all live together. There's like one huge ranch house and you have the grandparents and their children right. and their grandchildren, like everybody works the farm. It's a way of life, which is what works for them. And it's great. But you also have to respect these the federal government that's coming well, in and saying. And if it's a preserve. Yeah. It's a refuge. It's, yeah, yeah. Like we, you know, there comes a point where you just can't eat up right. all of the land. Because what are they going to do with it? They're going to turn it into more land for their cattle. Right. Right. They're going to yes. chop things down. Yes. I like look at Florida. So you have, yes. I mean, so you have to get permits. Yes. And the permits also, from what I can tell, are seasonal. So depending on what's growing there, what's happening there, um, they have to do, they have to fish a certain amount of, uh, during every year, like we have lobster yes. season here. Yes. To get rid of the extra lobster. So it's not, right. uh, what's it called? 
I don't want to say it's not overrun. You know what I'm saying? Like it's right. to population, some sort of control. To decrease it. Yes. yes. They have to do that on well, every aspect of the Well, they do that with, with all uh, hunting up north when you, for deer yes. season and all that. There's certain yes. times that you cannot hunt And you have to deer. get a permit to yes. do it, right? Absolutely. Same thing with lobster. You got to get a, a permit. Fishing. Yes. All of that. Yes. Well, these guys don't want to do anything yeah. <laughs> to well, do that. So they obstructed this fence and the fence was needed to stop the Hammond's cattle from moving onto the refuge after the ranchers had repeatedly violated the terms of their special permit, which limited those times when they could move their cattle across the refuge property. Officials also reported that Dwight had made death threats against refuge managers in 1986, 1988, 1991, and 1994, starting, stating, quote, he was going to tear his head off and shit down his <gasps> neck, end quote. These are just managers that are hired. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, like think about a state park yeah, manager. I like, mean, this guy's like, I'm just trying to be, you know, a forest ranger here. I know. <laughs> and uh, he also said that Stephen Hammond, the son, also made incendiary remarks against them, calling the employees and managers, quote, worthless sock- cocksuckers and assholes. Dang. <laughs> they're just trying to do a job. They're trying to preserve yeah. the land. Yeah. But I, I I try to put myself in their shoes and like them trying to, you know, is it a dying industry, what they're doing? Cattle farming, cattle ranchers? Like, is there, are they losing money? Is there a, there's got to be something else. I know it's frustrating to have to say like, I, this is the, I, I'm a farmer, but is there something well, I mean, else cattle, happening are here? Still, I mean, are they breeding cattle for slaughter? I think so. Like they're ranchers. So yeah. 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 So then they're, uh. I think it's, it's still... still a big industry. Okay. People are eating meat. People yeah. aren't going to get rid of their steaks anytime soon. Yeah. So maybe they're just they frustrated should. with Maybe it's told. all the gas from all those cows, 14 to 1, <laughs> that are making them cuckoo. Crazy. <laughs> so um, after the arrest, so they were arrested for t- knocking this fence down. So after the arrest, locals were given the names and numbers of refuge employees and encouraged to harass them. <gasps> One caller threatened to wrap the Camerons, the forest Camerons, 12-year-old boy in a <gasps> shroud of barbed wire and stuff him down a well. Oh, my God. Other callers warned his mother that she ought to move out before something bad happened to her family. She gathered their four children, one wheelchair-bound, and fled to Bend in, oh, Bend no. in 135 miles west. These are just people who are working yeah. there. I mean, no, we're going to go out. They're going to you know, harass them. Yeah, because if it's the government, then the government will p- replace that person with someone else. Right. The families you're of fighting, the, you're doing this the wrong way. Yeah. The families of three other refuge employees received telephone threats after meeting after a meeting held in support of the Hammonds, where the workers' phone numbers were circulated. Businesses in Burns, Oregon, displayed warning signs, quote, this establishment establishment doesn't serve federal employees end quote mm. you gotta remember they're all ranchers out there they're yeah. all trying to stand with their friend you know what i mean yeah um voters co- recalled voters recalled a pair of harney county commissioners because they wouldn't put the country the county supremacy ordinance on the ballot or intervene against the refuge manager so now they're like getting people out of office because they're not standing with these ranchers wow oregon's then congressional district 2 u.s representative robert freeman smith protested the arrest to president bill clinton's united states secretary of the interior bruce babbitt in 1999 Stephen. okay so none but nothing happened yeah right so in 1999 Stephen hammond started a fire intending to burn <gasps> off juniper trees and sagebrush but the fire escaped onto blm land <gasps> the bureau of land management the agency reminded him of the required burn permit and that if the fires continued, there, were, there would be illegal consequences. There would be legal consequences. So controlled burns happen all the time. Right. You want to burn those things off so your cows don't, your cattle don't eat them. Right. You know, so those are okay, but you have to have a permit to do that. Right. And then you can't, you, you got to do it 
in the right way where you're not destroying other people's yeah. land. Yeah. Again, I'm sure it's a major inconvenience to now have to go file a permit to go do something on your land. You know what I mean? It's always I like thought, this is it, I mean, Well, I mean, this is 99, so there's no internet, but like, I, I feel like... Just go they every six months. It's do. once a year. Just yeah. walk in and f- sign the paperwork. You know what you're supposed yeah. to do. They don't. They're being ornery. So yeah. both Dwight and Steve Hammond later set more fires, one in 2001 and one in 2006, that would lead to eventual convictions of arson on federal <gasps> land. Ooh. The 2001 Hardy Hammond fire began after hunters in the area witnessed the Hammonds illegally slaughtering a herd of deer, <gasps> which illegally means they didn't have the permit. Right. right? Less than two hours later, a fire erupted, forcing the hunters to leave the area, but also intending to conceal evidence of the deer herd slaughter. Mm. A herd? Yeah, it's a lot. This isn't just like, oh, we kill one or two deer. Yeah. Stephen's nephew, Dusty Hammond, testified his uncle (laughs) uncle told him to, quote, light the whole countryside on fire. Dang! End quote. And that he was, quote, almost burned up in the fire, having (laughs) to flee for his life. So it got out of control. The Hammonds claim they started the fire to stop invasive plants from growing onto their grazing fields. Oh, please. Right. Get some some weed kill. (laughs) (laughs) Round up. The 2006 Krumbo butt fire, a butte fire, started, I love that one, started out as a wildfire, but several illegal backburns were set by the Hammonds with an intent of protecting their winter feed. The backfires were set under the cover of night without warning the firefighters they knew were camped on the slopes above. (gasps) The fires threatened to trap four BLM firefighters. One of those later confronted Dwight Hammond at the fire scene after he had moved his crews to avoid the danger. Two days later, Stephen Hammond threatened to frame a BLM employee with arson if he didn't terminate the investigation. Following their release (laughs) from jail on their own recognizance, a rally attended by 500 other cattle ranchers was held in Burns, Oregon, in support of the Hammonds. Some charges against the Hammonds were later dropped. But... You know, they're still, they still were under arrest from the, the burn in, uh, earlier. Yes. So in 2012, the Hammonds were tried in federal district court on multiple charges. During a break in jury deliberations, a partial verdict was rendered finding the Hammonds not guilty on two of the charges, but convicting them on two counts of arson on federal land. Striking a plea bargain in order to have the four remaining charges dismissed and for sentences of, on the two convictions to run concurrently, the Hammonds waived their rights to appeal their convictions. This was with their knowledge that the trial would proceed to sentencing where the prosecution intended to seek imposition of the mandatory five-year minimum sentences. Okay. So they go on break during this trial. Yes. The jury goes away. Yes. They make a deal. Oh, no. We're only going to charge both of you with two counts. Okay. You're going to serve five years each minimum. Great. So that's the deal. They come back to court, and this is what happens. Oh, God. This is fucking wild. At sentencing... The federal prosecutors requested the five-year mandatory minimum under the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. U.S. District Judge Michael Robert Hogan independently decided that sentences of that length would, would, quote, would shock the conscience and would violate the constitutional prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment. On his last day on the bench before retiring October 31st, 2012, Hogan instead sentenced Dwight Hammond to three months imprisonment and Steve Hammond to a year and a day's imprisonment, which both men serve. Okay. So they get off with nothing. Yeah. Well, and the district attorney's like, fuck this. Yes. Right? 
In what was described by one source as a rare occasion, the government represented by the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Oregon, led by a U.S. Attorney Amanda Marsh- Marshall, successfully appealed the sentence to the United States Co- Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. It upheld the mandatory minimum law, writing that, quote, given the serious- seriousness of arson, a five-year sentence is not grossly disproportionate to the offense. The appeals court vacated the original sentence and remanded the defendants for resentencing. So mm. now... We're bringing them back. Yeah. And this oh, judge is like, God. no, you are going to get five years. Right? Good. Which never happens. Judges don't usually go against other judges. Right. Um, and also, once the sentence has been laid down. And they're yeah, put, it's like, yeah. usually that's it. But it's, the U.S. attorney was like, no. The Hammonds, well, they went against the original deal they made. Yes. Yeah. This is the deal we made. The Hammonds filed petitions uh, with the U.S. Supreme Court, which the court denied in March 2015. Good. In October 2015, Judge Anne Aiken resentenced the pair to five years in prison with credit for time served, ordering that they return to prison on January 4th, 2016. Both of the Hammonds reported to Federal Correctional Institution, Terminal Island in California, on January 4th, as ordered by the court. A few days earlier, the Hammonds also paid the federal government the remaining balance on a (gasps) $400,000 court order for restitution related to the arson fires. Yeah. $400,000. Yes. Because of all the damage. Yeah, no. I mean, and and this is just because they just... Because they don't want to follow yeah. basic rules of signing a damn, yeah, you know, permit paper. I know. <laughs> How much does a permit cost? Probably twenty bucks. Also, like, <laughs> I just don't understand starting a fire. They get out of control so quickly. Yeah, especially on the West Coast. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, of course, oh, no. our favorite. On June twenty seventh, two thousand eighteen, Oregon's second congressional district representative, Greg Walden spoke on the House floor requesting presidential pardons for both Stephen and Dwight Hammond. Oh, on July God. 1st, 2018, no, please, he said he spoke to the president about no. the case. He remarked that the original trial judge, federal judge Michael Robert Hogan, said the conferring the mandatory sentence would, quote, shock the conscience. The pair had pleaded guilty in a plea bargain after being convicted at trial on two charges and acquitted on two others. Um on July 1st, Walden stated that President Donald Trump, to whom he had spoken, was considering pardoning the Hammonds. Stephen oh, had been scheduled to be released on June 29th, 2019, and Dwight on February 13th, 2020. On July 10th, 2018, Trump issued pardons for both men. Wait, is this the same Trump that said Yosemite instead of Yosemite recently? Yes. Okay, just want to be yeah, sure. That's, that's our president. Okay. A release from the White House press office stated, quote, the Hammonds are imprisoned in connection with a fire that leaked onto a small portion of a neighboring, neighboring public grazing land. The evidence at trial regarded the Hammonds' responsibility of the, for, uh, for the fire was conflicting, and the jury acquitted them on most of the charges. Now, the jury did oh, not do that. Oh, my God. They waived those. They dropped those charges. Because of the deal. Yeah. They I weren't, mean. They weren't <laughs> acquitted of anything. According to the his, according to the spokesperson Sarah Sanders, who read the statement, quote, the previous administration, Obama, however, um, filed an overzealous appeal that resulted in the Hammonds being sentenced to five years in prison. Okay, so they get out. What my the second part of this story okay. is going to go into uh, is what happens when they go to prison to start serving these five years. So right, at, so they reported for prison on January fourth, two thousand sixteen. A couple days before this, something else happens in in response to them being resentenced. Ooh. And so uh, on the next episode, we're going to talk about Eamon Bundy. Okay. And uh, how this case attracted his attention and who he is and all of the mess 
that happened as as in response to this sentencing and it's really really good <laughs> I yay i can't wait it. i can't wait all right Ooh, that's my story it's good yeah i mean the this, I, I just, I don't understand the rancher life mentality. I mean, it, it's a, it's a life that I've, I, I have no idea about. The only sense that I have of it is through books that I've read or, you know, um, I think it's media just portrayal. It's just frustration with these, with these folks. Yeah. And they're doing work that's hard work. Yes. You know, but at the same time, they, they, there cannot be a complete disregard for law, mm. you know? Yeah, it's just to me. I feel like there's um, it's it, there's something interesting there because it's like you know we're gonna follow the law and order president. Yeah, but we're not gonna you know abide by the laws that we don't like. It's mm-hmm. just I don't know. It's just the hypocrisy of it. Yeah, rubs me the wrong way. Um, but I love that. Yeah, the Yosemite president pardoned them. <laughs> Yosemite. When I heard that, I said, "How in the world? Yeah, how in the world does someone not know Yosemite? Yosemite." Oh, and the other one was um, for Thailand. He said Thailand. Oh, my mom told me this. She said something about Thailand. I go, what are you talking Thailand. about? Thailand. And then she told me that that's what he said. <laughs> my God. Well, I was I read oh this amazing God. article in Rolling Stone, which I hope you go read because I'd love to talk to you about it. But it's called um, The Unraveling of America. Ooh. And it's written by Wade Davis. He's a Canadian like um, anthropologist. And oh. he, it's amazing. But it talks. I cried at the end of reading it <gasps> because it was so... It just lays out the decline of this country and where we were and where we've come from and wh- where we are now. And uh, we have so much work to it's even. Such, it's even, just beyond, but it's beyond Trump. It's beyond all yes. of that. I mean, he's part of it, but it's beyond. Well, it's what allowed him to get elected. Yeah. But we're we're at the end of America being the greatest nation. Oh yeah, and so like we're lo- like every century has. Like you get Great Britain and, yeah. you know, all of these different all empires fall. superpowers. Yeah. All and so we're at the fall. end, we're at the end of this yeah. empire of the United States and it's very, very sad, but, and it, what's really sad to me is I don't know how it, how it writes itself. Like, I don't know. I th- feel like people are so far gone. I, know. I don't know what we, it is. We need, we need the right person to steer the ship I to mean, help. But see, to, I, I don't mean, even know. So know. for me, like when I was talking to my mom about this, she was like, you know, it, she was talking about elections and I was like, I think it's beyond that. Yeah. I'm well, it's a mindset. How, it's that's a mindset. Right. How do you change the minds of the American people? And I don't think it's an elected official. I don't. No. Oh, no. We are so incredibly divided. Yeah. Eh, I think we just split the country up. Mm. That's what I say. Let's just break all this up to, uh, and maybe America needs to just divide. Where, where, where are you going? What side are you on? Well, let's see. What would we, we do? I'd want the east and west coast. I would love to split Florida in two. Mm. The big fight I feel like would be over Orlando, you know, because of the tourism. But I'm willing to let Disney World go and just say, let's split off into two states mm-hmm. and have North and South Florida. I'd start there. That would be where I start. Let's start with splitting Florida in half. That be so amazing? I would argue <laughs> that instead of breaking the country up, we have to find a way to come together. Yeah. No. It has to be a way. No, forget I it. I know, but that's the problem. I don't want any of these people around me. But that's the problem. <laughs> See, that's, that's what it is. Like, no, that's I know. Where I know. That's, it's such a mess. It's, it's a such mess. such a fucking mess. Because it's, it's so... There's no common ground anymore. It's no. It's so far beyond... It, um, we've been manipulated to the point where we don't even like anybody. We don't like anything. And yes. so it's... It, and I'm part of it too. I'm guilty of it. But it's, you know, I don't think it's an elected official. It's definitely, it's, there's, there's no one to be trust. There's no one to, be, Biden's no. not it. He's not oh, going to unite no. the country. No. I mean, it's not going to happen. So I, I think it's beyond that. 
I don't know. I mean, I think it needs to start maybe on smaller scales, like Mm -hmm. local level making changes, Mm -hmm. you know, and then that maybe it grows outward from there. I don't know. But but we need significant change. I think our education system, that's where it needs to start. Mm. We need to start, you know, teaching real history, teaching um, our kids to have some empathy. Yeah, I would agree. That's true. You know, and then they can hopefully grow up and be better people than what we all are. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, All right. Oh, Tina. I know. Go hide. I know. All right. So next episode, I will continue my story. You will tell us a new story. Oh, you're going to like my next one. (laughs) All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support the Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for the Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty. Coming up next week on the Muck Podcast. Well, to me, it's terrorism. Yes! This is domestic terrorism. Yes! And, and... And what really I want uh, you and anybody else listening to think about is how differently they're treated than if, if because they're white. Oh, 100%. Armed and white and yes. treated like in a way that is so unbelievably unfair when it comes. If it was any other person who had, who had done what he did regarding this, you know, accident, mm. right? Would he have, you know, most people probably would have been arrested. He would have not been propelled into a 40-year Senate mm. gig. It's incredible. Right. Tina. And then what, what would our world be like yeah. if there wasn't a Ted Kennedy? Like yeah. who would have filled that spot all the years? Like there could have been someone just as good. We don't yeah. know. Right.